Are you ready to begin? I am. Hey, this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season we'll have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. We are two girls. Too sad. <laughs> Let's jump into the syllabus. Hello, Bethany. Hi, Mary. Today Phantom we're talking the... about... Phantom... Uh, <laughs> Clearly, we're both way too excited <laughs> to talk about this. Like, silent and hands up. <laughs> both of us wanting to, like, say it at the same time. Phantom of the mm-hmm. Opera. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could sing because I would be singing this entire episode. I feel like the, the songs really get stuck in your head. I know. I feel like the um the there's def- we're gonna definitely edit in the organ, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the iconic <laughs> intro, and you know, Emmy Rossum is like off key. Yeah. I I mean I'm not gonna say I have an ear for that. Um, but there's something going on. Something. I just, I just think, you know, it's, it's really funny. I think for, as I was watching this last night, I was realizing, I was like, okay, so this really is kind of like a bridge into like the, the Wuthering Heights to to Twilight Pipeline. This really is sort of that bridge because, um, because Phantom of the Opera is a book first, ostensibly Mm -hmm. part of the Gothic lit genre. But then, like, it being made into, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber making it into a rock opera, making it into a musical, like, popularizes it in the, it, like, fan fictionizes it. Yeah. So, okay. I read a little bit. I've not read the book. Um, Me neither. <laughs> and I've never seen the stage production. So I've really only seen the movie and bits and pieces of, like, the theatrical production that have been recorded. Um. But, and the movie I only saw for the first time, like, this last year. Whoa. Actually. Amazingly. But um, the book itself is, like, based on a ghost story and from a real, and the happenings from a real opera, which he then kind of historicizes. And then, and obviously comes up with the Phantom of the Opera. And then, yeah, they, they made a movie in, I think, the 30s or 40s and then yeah Andrew Lloyd Webber made a musical which definitely changes a lot of the story but um I had no idea it was a rock opera when I first watched it I just assumed it was a musical like and I had heard the you know the organ the dun 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 but uh, when the like synth started going and the guitar, I lost my mind. I like could not stop laughing the whole. This is <laughs> tangential, and I feel like we'll get into this um, later on on this podcast. But um, just because we're talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber, have you seen Jesus Christ Superstar? You have. I've never seen oh, it. Shit. I only I only know the like Jesus Christ Superstar, and I I've listened to some of it with you. Because, yeah, yeah, because I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with that musical. Because <laughs> um, that is like when the synths, well, when the electric guitar starts playing, 
like that's pretty in- like during the crucifixion that's like pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Andrew I don't know why has yeah. a knack for that, for like just putting shit These in these guitar his drops. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know why I wouldn't assume that it, obviously it's gonna have like be a rock opera, of course. I don't know what I was expecting, well, um, but it is yeah. delightful. Yeah, I, um, I can't really remember. I watched Phantom of the Opera, that movie with Gerard Butler. I yeah. watched that for the, like, I saw it in theaters with my mom when I was, like, 12, like, in middle school. And I, uh-huh. like, quickly became obsessed with it. And I, I remember having, I had, like, a little portable DVD player in middle school. And my mom got me the DVD of it when it came out. And I would, like, just play it while I was watching homework, or do, doing homework. I was just watching it while I was doing homework. Every single day in middle school. like. It was so bad. It was, but I was also in when at that age, I was um, I was also obsessed with Les Mis. Like it was bad. Yeah. I, well, I think that is a really good age to be like both obsessive. There are lots of movies that I watched. I think every single day during the summer, just by myself, watching The Outsiders every single day. <laughs> um, <laughs> But also, I, I don't know, There's those, both of those movies are like so, or musicals, so grandiose. Yeah. So over the top that I think it's like perfect for that age. You're yeah. like really in awe. They are a spectacle. That is for sure. Um, this movie itself, the one we're talking about, I feel like is an interesting movie because from what I understand, a lot of like Phantom of the Opera fans don't like a lot of the casting choices made um Gerard mainly um but Emmy too uh and it's also produced by the greatest Joel or produced directed by the greatest Joel Schumacher who everyone loves um I mean I feel like you get the sense of Joel he's like camp king yeah yeah Um, so I think it's like a perfect not (laughs) you think it's some parts of it are incredible no, I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I do think it's a perfect pairing of Joel Schumacher. Actually, I think it, it's kind of surprising that it's not more crazy. It, yeah, that. yeah. And I read that Andrew Lloyd Webber was very involved in the making of the movie, so that's potentially why it's like you have the playwright and play director just kind of controlling it too much to make it like yeah. the play versus yeah. something that's like a different kind of spectacle yeah wait okay but going back to the to the book so the was Mm -hmm. there it's based on a ghost story that well it's based based on on another opera rumors it's based on rumors about Um, an opera house called the i think it's the palais grenier in paris so it's a paris opera house that um i i believe it they thought there was maybe it was haunted because like opening night the chandelier went up and like caught up in flames and like it was this whole destruction story and it also had a lake underneath it um just like the phantom which when I read that I was like no no possible way but I forgot that Paris is like has levels and levels and levels underneath it but it has yeah an underground lake underneath 
the opera, which I guess firefighters still use to um, oh, wow. train to swim under, to swim, I guess, in the dark. <laughs> With phantoms, obviously. They're like, With the ghosts. firefighter training, it's just like, keep your hand at the level of your eye. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, because, well, that's interesting because, like, something, some something that's, uh, a thought that I had while I was watching this, I I did see the stage version. It came to it came to Albuquerque, um, again when I was like in middle school or high school, and me and my mom went to go see it. And it's very um, like the sets are really incredible, and they have to do this whole like I um, I think I didn't know that it was a book until very very recently. Because it just, yeah. it seemed, and, like, I sort of knew about the the 1930s film. I had just always sort of assumed that it was, like, a musical, I guess. I don't know. The reason why I thought that, though, is because um, uh, it works so, it's, like, it's so meta in the sense that, like, it's a play within a play. And so the stage, the stage designers have to design, like, backstage on stage and it like there's it, it's like one of those infinity mirror type things like that's how I that's how yeah. I visualize it it's just like you have um the rafters of the um of the opera house like exposed on stage and like there's and and you're sort of thinking as an audience member when you're watching the stage version you're sort of like oh are they like am I seeing behind the curtain kind of thing and like it's it's all sort of um it's like exposing it's exposing behind behind the stage and so that's why I think that it works as a as a musical and um and like why people why it's so popular maybe too and also like depicting the the water because they do they do have water on stage depicting that is like really crazy um it like it's there's all sorts of tricks and then also like it's interesting um uh like I also have experience in like how how people have to do those sort of magic tricks on stage like there's a lot of like in ballet and stuff there's just like a lot of stuff that it's just like okay you have to like really choreograph it very and you have to like execute it really well to like make these optical illusions and so it's just like it's really interesting to like to think about all of that all of those elements coming together it's truly fantasy it's truly like fan fiction (laughs) and like yeah it's like it's like this ghost story that like everybody um it's everybody like gets behind to like sort of fabricate it and make it haunting but it but it's so camp it doesn't it doesn't come across as scary at all no, I don't think, yeah, you're ever, like, terrified or really tense about... Well, I will say one thing, is that I think the Phantom itself, I am always, like, a little baffled by the characterization, because sometimes he's, like, a trickster, like, he's just playing pranks, and then at other times he's murdering people. So you just... <laughs> yeah. Sometimes he just wants to get paid. Right. Other times he's gonna kill everybody in the audience so I I don't know (laughs) so it's like it's hard to I feel like the tension is like oddly balanced because sometimes it's like really ramping up or attempting to but you just never really feel like that nervous (laughs) and I wonder 
I wonder if it's scarier or more suspenseful in the book. Hmm. I, 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 um, well, maybe when it's played also like straight, right? It's not a musical. Right. There's not all of this extra. It's not singing. <laughs> There's no masquerade. Um, it, it's like, I just, I wonder, <laughs> like, yeah, I wonder if it's just like, if this, this total, um, like the fanfic fanfare around it is what that like how how do you get from <laughs> Wuthering Heights gothic lit to Twilight and it's definitely like yeah like adding some synth guitar synths and electric guitars mm-hmm. and <laughs> adding all this like fanfare and campiness which is beloved I think um yeah just yeah it's like the longest running or one of the longest running Broadway plays ever one of the highest grossing um it it still keeps going I feel like everyone knows what it is like I don't think we need to talk about plot like (laughs) (laughs) it's the phantom of the opera actually you know I think this is like a larger part to the podcast itself is like each one of these books or movies or musicals um have incredible longevity right we're still talking about them they've somehow you know they've been either canonized or are still culturally relevant um and most of which were also really popular in their own time too yeah um i think all of them so i don't know i think you do see that like people can't get enough of phantom people are crazy for andrew lloyd Webber. yeah i think cats proved um they'll watch anything that he makes um But Phantom, I don't know, I find Phantom interesting, especially the Phantom himself, who is kind of a Heathcliff-like character in which he's like angel and demon, uh, you know, villain and hero. Mm -hmm. He just wants to be loved. Uh, He's obsessive, very violent. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say he's like a Byronic hero, would you? Um... Maybe shares those traits. I think that he shares the traits in the sense that, um, in the sense that he has a backstory that like only one person knows. We're listening to again this, but this is like, I don't know how much uh, of the movie put this in there. Like the movie might have made him into a Byronic hero because like there's like you get the, a little bit of the backstory from um, from the ballet master, and she's just like. She's yeah. like, yeah, there were some gypsies in town and an orphan showed up with them and just, like, stayed. And th- you get that sort of, like, very othered, very mysterious backstory orphan boy type thing, which kind of, like, yeah. then leads you to believe that, that then, like, he has to do, he has to do some weird shit <laughs> um, <laughs> to, like, make his money and, like, living underneath the living beneath the opera house and he has to like blackmail people to pay him right he's also like incredibly i think this is sort of a byronic hero thing but like incredibly gifted you know yeah. like he's he's the genius of music he's the angel of music la la la, la. Does um, he write... he's an opera genius yeah and does he write some musicals for right he does he writes that one at the that's like the whole climax of the show is he's like, you will produce this musical that I wrote. And Christine is going to play the prima donna. Play the lead. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, something about Don Juan. Right, um, right. Yeah. You know, I don't... I, I don't I would, know if, if he's actually good. Because everyone tells us he's great. Or that he... I guess he trains Christine, right? That's yes, how you know yeah. that he's good. Is that he has tutored her into being an incredible opera singer. Yeah. And um, there's also something... I feel like that, like, he trains like um she she mirrors his experience because she's orphaned because her like her dad is a violin master maestro virtuos virtuosic violin player he dies and she's taken in to the ballet school as an orphan and then there's sort of like the the phantom is just like oh like i'm gonna create this prodigy because she's just like me and like i can't show my face so like I'm gonna he like sort of lives vicariously through her and then she has Mm -hmm. daddy issues so she latches onto that and then it gets fucked up from there yeah I'm like Christine's whole personality seems to be wrapped up in childhood yes like in the death of her dad so she takes lessons from a ghost and does not ask any questions oh yeah she she like thinks it's her dad yeah thinks it's her dad and then Raul, played by the incredible Patrick Wilson in this <laughs> movie, um, the Conjuring <laughs> cast will always remain superior. Um, but <laughs> uh, I did recently learn. I I had tricked myself into thinking this. I guess that Patrick Wilson was not a Wilson brother of like a brother of Owen and Luke Wilson. <laughs> don't know why I thought they were all brothers. <laughs> Owen and Luke are. But Patrick is not related to him. <laughs> For the longest time. That would be time. incredible if they if all three were. <laughs> I was like, why wasn't Patrick in Bottle Rocket? Um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> they do have another brother. Anyways, sorry. Sorry for that. Um, <laughs> but anyways, her interest in Raul is also based in childhood. Oh, right, because her father the, died. Yeah, they played as little um, kids or whatever. And she's also very kind of naive. She's sort of childlike. Yeah. She's made to be very pure. I think that's her. Yeah, that's the foil. The light shines off of her. Yeah. Um, that's it kind of for personality for Christine. I mean, she's kind yeah. I think it's, you know, sympathetic. <laughs> I think that there's also this, like, um, I think that, yeah, Christine is such a flat character. Like, she, it's, it's like, so, she's so flat. She's Musically weird. and also character. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, and it's, it's, she purely exists to in the same way that like I think that there is all this like sexuality lust undertones and like sort of like what's the punishment for Mm. like being a sexual person um like monstrosity is the punishment for that kind of thing Mm. like I think that she purely exists to like uphold that really complicated and layered metaphor um where it's it's just like you know your innocence um, like being wrapped up in anything that's sort of like monstrous is kind of ruins your innocence and ruins 
ruins the piece. Um, yeah, they do have um, the same thing with Kathy and Heathcliff, or at least some of the same thing with Kathy and Heathcliff with the Phantom and Christine of that we are, you know, two bodies, but like one soul mm -hmm. to some extent, I think less so with the Phantom, but he really wants that to be the case. Maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, like he's in her mind and she is his voice. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that they're essentially somehow like combined, like combined souls mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that, just like in Wuthering Heights in which yeah. they're like, they're not two people really, like they're two halves of a whole. Yeah. Um, and that something about each other is like, will forever be entwined, which I am always surprised by the end of this movie, I guess. <laughs> I mean, what? Sorry, I don't want to like diverge. I'm diverging all over this place. Sorry. But uh, why are you surprised? Raul sucks. I just why would you go? <laughs> why did she fall? Like Phantom Schooler. He has an underground cave. Also, so you can canoe around. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> wrong with his face. It's oh red God. and like maybe a little bit scarred <laughs> from like some burns. That's it. There's nothing wrong with his face. I don't understand anything about like the makeup choices of that movie. Okay. So yeah, I was going to ask in the musical, is it usually like a bigger deal or is it about the same type of makeup? Well, it's I think, really not very much. I think that... In the, in the musical, it's hard to tell unless you're sitting in, like, the front row, you know? <laughs> like, there's never anything that is wrong with his face. In all of my experience, also the other thing that I was going to say, um, a thought that came into my head when you were talking about, like, this is so beloved and, like, it's highest grossing, longest running yeah. Broadway musical. Also, Wishbone did Phantom of the Opera. Um, <laughs> I don't think Wishbone ever... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Wishbone ever did Wuthering Heights, and I don't think that he did Dracula. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll have to look that up. But um, maybe next season is Wishbone, <laughs> <laughs> or we'll do an extra episode on just Wishbone remakes. <laughs> Wishbone and Gothic Lip. Um, yeah, uh, but Wishbone did do Phantom of the Opera, and I can't. I'm pretty sure Wishbone was. Phantom. I, th no. I feel like I have seen. No, I swear I I've seen a photo where he has half. Oh, you're photo. right. You're right. I'm looking it up right now. Um. Oh my god, this dog. Um. Or at least a cape. He wears a cape a lot, though. Yeah, there he does. Cape. Um. I think he's Raúl. Wow. And I... yeah, he's Raúl. And then and then. The um. Oh my god, wait, Wishbone? Wait, okay. Wishbone, He's every gone. episode is uh, is uh, a pun on the book titles, and the, the Phantom of the Opera is Pantin at the Opera. <gasps> anyway, um, okay, so, interesting, I just came upon something that's interesting. Um, I'm just gonna share this for a minute. Oh wait, hold on. Um, do you see this? His face is crazy. 
Yeah, it's and also it's like most of his face. It's 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 they gave him those red eyes. Wow. Yeah, his face is crazy in Wishbone, but like in the musical, you can't really. If you're sitting in the audience, you basically can't see. It's basically like for the musical. Just, it's just the like cast being like, "Oh my god, you're so scary," or whatever. Like you just have to rely on their reactions. Yeah. To him. Yeah, yeah, basically. But in Wishbone, they like actually make it very scary. Wishbone does a way better job than than the movie. <laughs> um, I'm gonna stop sharing my screen now. Um. Yeah, in the movie, it's like not. Like, this is what you were so upset about. It's just like, why is he, why can't he show his face? There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and yeah, that t- to me is sort of like where it falls apart. It, like, I, I, I'm just, it would have been better if he was a ghost. I don't know. Well, that in the movie, I do get kind of upset that they make his movements so obvious. It's like, I feel like, that you should have this sort of specter yeah like a ghost all the time like in the background of scenes um but you see everything that he does uh there's not any mystery to what he's doing which i think is so odd because you have plenty of placement to make you know like you have the rafters like you don't need to see him doing the stuff in the rafters we know it's him you know like (laughs) you can make him more of a threat yeah, totally. I think if you don't see doing all of these things, but I think they try to humanize him too much, so you, yeah. you enact it. Yeah. Or maybe they're just, you know, trying to make the most use of Gerard Butler on the screen, so they had to have him in every scene or something. I don't know. Because I, I guess if you don't have him doing that, you barely have him act, you know, like you barely right, have him right. on the screen, which is good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, like Drac, you know, like like Dracula, he's like not. He's the threat is always there, but he's not on every page. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And um, and I think that it, there's something that's like more magical or more or like scarier, a little bit. I don't know, or just a little bit more mystical. Um, if you have, uh, if you have like barely any hint of what the who the phantom, what he looks like, who he is. You just like have if you if he were more threatening and like less on screen, and then you have this moment of like music of the night where then you're like, oh, he has this whole world, like this whole like beautiful, it, like. <laughs> I just do it silently. It would have been really awful. We would have had to cut. Yes, yeah, sorry. Keep going. Um, yeah, it's just like this, the, like. That is, then you're just like, wait, oh my god, this, like, threatening ghost specter thing. And yet he has this whole beautiful, like, music of the night grotto. He has a whole underground grotto that he's, like, perfected and made. And I don't know, it just, like, it would make it, it would make the contradiction that much better. Um, Yeah. Like, this really scary person in the rafters versus, like, this beautiful artistic thing. (laughs) that's going on beneath the other thing oh my god the other thing that i just remembered arthur the cartoon does an adaptation of phantom of the opera but it's dw and she lives in the rafters of the grocery store oh my god he like runs away from home she lives in the ceiling of the grocery store and she like 
pulls away the ceiling tiles and she like jumps down to like take food and goes back up. Yeah. I definitely saw that episode. I love TW. Me too. <laughs> Arthur just ended. It was still going on. Yes. Um I know. That's crazy. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, yeah. there's it, it's like this it's a very it's an interesting, enduring story of of who's doing the who's playing these tricks who's making this making this happen and it's an interesting choice for the musical to try to humanize him and to try to Mm -hmm. and like and and it's an interesting like turn away from gothic lit to say like actually it's not a ghost it's not a spirit it's nothing sinister it's just like a dude who had a hard life yeah and there's like occasionally the the idea that maybe some magical stuff is happening, but it's unclear if it's just like, wow, it's so grand and crazy that it appears to be fantastical, or like that he's he can do some magic tricks. This <laughs> essentially, I think, what's revealed um, that he's a magician, but. <laughs> But yeah, that there was nothing actually. There is no spiritual or haunt. Like there is no haunting. There is no specter. It is just a man. Yeah. Um. I wonder if that's um, because we've also been talking about gothic literature as as the re- reaction to the industrial revolution and a reaction to science and like rational mm-hmm. thinking or whatever, <laughs> and um. <laughs> And I wonder if this, like, follows that trajectory of, like, actually what you thought was a ghost is just a tortured man who's, like, playing tricks on people and occasionally killing them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's this, uh, and that is also where gothic literature and writing about monsters begins to fall apart because there is a rational explanation for everything and so then Mm. like because there's a rational explanation for everything then it's just sort of like anytime you write about vampires or werewolves or anything it's just like fantasy and it's just and and authors are just kind of like fuck it we don't need to like this isn't scary because you know that there's a there's an explanation behind it right right and that any yeah any sort of like spectacular or mysterious thing is gonna get explained by the end that sucks (laughs) i know (laughs) i wouldn't much rather i mean i guess the way that the phantom ends right it's with meg the daughter of the is she she madam like the ballet madam um who is uh christine's friend like finds the mask and his cloak and is empty as if he disappeared and like you're led to believe like maybe he got away um so that there's some of that mystery but it's like you spent the last 30 minutes explaining to me his life and backstory so I don't think that's what (laughs) happened it would be I think a cooler a greater story if he was actually in the end a ghost yeah, it definitely would be. It definitely would be. But and and I do think that it's that it's this sort of like, well, ghosts can't exist. We're rational human beings, especially by this book was written in 1910, especially by that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the book's written in 1910, set in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, in the musical too, in the movie, they have that framing too. Of um, It's like 1910, so it's been, and they're having an auction for the opera's mm-hmm. um, goods because opera houses gone so they're just auctioning off everything in it and all of the characters who are still alive are there b- bidding on things well really it's just Raul. like meg and, and raul um bidding on the phantoms old stuff basically uh <laughs> um, and then you know and then it takes you back to when the story happened which is in the 1880s um and you do have that framing device again of like, okay, we have to go back to tell you the like the legend, um, like you have in in Dracula a little bit and in and definitely in Mothering Heights of yeah. like, well, 30 years ago, this is what happened. Yeah. You know, it's a recent past. It's that narrator um, again. Sad right. boy narrator. Yeah. Sad boy narrator. Well, we'll... uh <laughs> Patrick. Patrick Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick can sing. Patrick can sing. Oh god. I always forget. I always forget that it's him in the Conjuring movies. And despite <laughs> like we talk about the Conjuring movies all the time, but I always the the my, my Patrick Wilson anchor in pop culture is he's in that one episode of Girls where he like um... like plays a doctor who's like much older than Lena Dunham and he they like hook up. She has a whole fantasy of okay. like what it's like to live a stable adult life, and so so dumb. But that's that's my reference. I always think of, that's what I think of Patrick Wilson. No, I think Conjuring because you know I'm obsessed. But there's in Conjuring two, I don't remember the one where they're in England. He does a whole um, Elvis song. The whole song is he sings a whole song and it's all in the movie do you think he like begged the producers to let him sing i get i don't know it's incredible (laughs) (laughs) he loves to sing he loves to sing so i know that gerard gets a lot of flack in this movie for not having a very good voice um especially when he's supposed to be the phantom which i think from the sounds of it historically is has a beautiful voice Mm -hmm. um I think you know it's supposed to be a contrast to his to his scary brutality. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but I kind of like Gerard actually. Interesting. Kind of like that he's a gravelly voice dude. I actually, yeah, I never, I never thought that he had a bad voice. Um, I was probably too young to like know know any yeah. kind of difference. Um, when I first saw it, but like he. I, and also, I never had anything to compare it to. Like, I never saw, like, I'm sure people, right. when they saw the movie, they were, like, diehard fans who were just like, I've been listening to the original Broadway cast for years or whatever, you know. And, like, people mm-hmm. are always make, going to make the comparison to the stage cast or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I never I never thought that anything was wrong with, with Gerard Butler's voice either. And he does a nice falsetto. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a super 
I think it's a pretty fun movie. It goes on a little bit too long. It goes um, on way too in long. That middle part, there's like a long we're just like nothing is happening and <sighs> a little bit too much of just Christina Raul, which is pretty boring. Yeah. Um but I would say like yeah, there's obviously the element of camp to this movie that the other gothic novels and literature that we've talked about don't really have. I mean, I think they easily could have if produced a certain way. Um, but I do wonder if like the glitteriness, I think, of the opera and not like the opulence sort of takes away from the brooding vibe that you yeah. get in other gothic literature and that you you get from the phantom but then it's set against such like a bright setting that you don't you don't have the same kind of atmospheric um yeah yeah atmospheric uh vibe that you get in like weathering heights and even in dracula yeah you get a little bit of it but it just isn't consistent i think yeah well something that's interesting about um especially about Bram Stoker's Dracula, the movie, um, is, like, that is very camp. And yet, yes. there is still some mystery in there. Like, I don't know, that is, it, it, it's something different in the way that the story is constructed. And I do think that it has to do with this, like, just the basic narrative structures of each. Dracula is written um, 20 years-ish um before before phantom of the opera and there's less of a desire to explain things away and and everything about the narrative of phantom of the opera is like we are rational western people and we do not believe in ghosts and here we're gonna like expose to you the rafters of the opera house we're gonna pull back the curtain pull back the wings it's all just a trick of the mind and i think about like illusionists at this time too um and yeah. like there was so much um when was Harry Houdini alive like Harry Houdini I was, was like going to look that up on that tip of like exposing psychic mediums and stuff mm-hmm. and so everybody like that was just the culture it's phantom of the opera is so of its time and i think that in the sense that like it's trying to expose the tricks and it's trying to say like nothing is not like everything has a has a rational explanation behind it yeah, and Houdini's career was 1891 to 1926, so that's the perfect time. Yeah. Of, okay, these people are, you know, essentially, like, all of these people who are leading you to believe that you can talk with ghosts and see ghosts and, you know, divine, um, have mediums or see the future mm-hmm. are, are charlatans and they're taking advantage of you. Yeah. And that is kind of what the phantom is doing right like he's using their fear to control them and to get money um to control christine Mm -hmm. uh to make his operas (laughs) yeah yeah and and there's and that's why like you could also i think that that basic like that's a very very like rudimentary fundamental narrative structure of phantom of the opera and so like no matter how many movie adaptations of weathering heights adaptations of Dracula, like, you could make Wuthering Heights or Dracula movies that are really campy that could still be kind of threatening because there is never the motivation to expose the ghost. 
Yeah. And in fact, it is the point, I think, of both of them to allow that mystery to remain. Yeah. And in this, you want to explain it and pacify it. So, you know, Christine goes on to live a very happy life with Raoul. Mm -hmm. I mean, but he, the phantom will always, you know, like, be a part of the past, yeah. but no longer part of, you know. Yeah, yeah. You make the current the, present, and yeah. You you make the discovery, and then, and then it's gone for, and then like it doesn't torture you anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you get, and then you get all the way to like Twilight, where then you have like all these things explained in about like how. How does a how do vampires procreate or whatever? Like, there's all sorts of like yes. There's there's explanations for everything, and then there's also explanations. I feel like um, I don't remember for sure, but I feel like there are pseudo scientific explanations written into the werewolves too. There are Jacob yeah. Black, yeah yeah. I was actually just thinking about the other night because it's so, so stupid. Just have them be werewolves. Like, why do we need to have a reason why there's more werewolves now and like. Whatever. That's so dumb. Uh, <laughs> but similar to Phantom is, um, I think Edward, the Edward Cullen, like, well, I'm a monster, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm a monster because I'm so beautiful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like this should terrify you. And it's like pretty similar to like taking off the mask of the Phantom, where you're like, this is it. <laughs> yeah. Edward. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's something like th there's also something vaguely threatening, like in the in the buildup when Bella doesn't know. She's just like, why does why do his eyes change? Why is he so brooding? And then she like does some research. She it. Yeah, there's that like quintessential <laughs> montage, which has now become a part of the the montage of her like in a library reading about vampires or whatever. Um, reading like science, like old, barely published scientific abstracts about vampires and stuff. Um, yeah. And then she's like, you're a vampire. You're so old. Yeah. How long have you been 17? Um. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I do think, and it also sort of, it, Twilight, like Phantom of the Opera, as, especially Phantom of the Opera, the musical, as a later version of these kind of gothic literature, like wants to use that atmosphere and that vibe to denote a certain, certain things, but at the same time doesn't commit to those things. So you're left with this sort of like half, half and half um, story where it's not gothic, but it still wants to use that genre. Yeah. Yeah, it wants to. Well, it it wants to expose it. it thinking about mm. the atmosphere, like in the in any Bronte, any house that is like a part of a Bronte story is like full full of shadows. You never you never really know if um you never really know if the ghost that the dude saw in Wuthering Heights is Kathy or not, or just like right, or or just like wind or whatever. Um, well, that's what's yeah. yeah confusing about Phantom that there isn't more of that of like. Oh, yeah. what's that you know shadow looking in the the rafters or you know there's yeah. plenty of space for that in the opera house but there yeah. isn't more 
um, and things that aren't the phantom, you know, like mishaps being blamed on the phantom that weren't actually his doings or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's really, it's just the phantom, you know, that he's behind all of it. Damn, Western, the Western quest for scientific explanation really ruins everything. That's the, that's what ruined Gothic lit. Even monsters, come on. Let a monster be a monster. So I guess Gothic literature dies in the big, in the early 1900s, <laughs> in the early 20th century. <laughs> the undead genre or whatever. Yeah, I think like Guillermo del Toro is trying his best to bring it back, but I don't think it's happening. <laughs> well, and that's the problem is like, is like, like fish man shape of water um uh, is like it, it just sort of the fantasy genre kind of devolves into just fantasy which there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with with that genre at all but yeah there can't be any mystery like and maybe that's also why i have so much angst about this about like creative uh creative writing and like fiction writing submissions are always like no vampires no mermaids like nobody wants to have nobody wants to have those characters or like nobody wants to read a story about that because it just it's goes into like a fantasy and it's and people are just like leave that to george r R. martin or whatever right and that yeah that it can't that there's a very big line between fantasy and literary fiction and I do think you have a lot of people who are inspired by magical realism and doing some things but again I think as soon as you start having creatures um mermaids vampires like as soon as you would start having these established monsters or creatures um people are like nope that's fantasy get that yeah yeah it's really hard I think maybe one of my main missions is like trying to (laughs) like write a story that can like be be set in the now and still have some still have some mystery yeah people are also afraid of conspiracy theories too for good reason but like there's so many like there are so many fables and tales that about like monsters or whatever ufos aliens whatever yeah yeah but then people are like that'll just go into conspiracy theory literature and it's like Mm -hmm. that's another struggle I do think actually I was listening to a different podcast, um, but it was on um, fantasy romance as a genre, and that is a really hard sell for people. Yeah. Um, as as soon as, especially as soon as it's not YA, um, <laughs> as it. <laughs> oh god. You're like yeah, feed that of... feed that to our children, but not. <laughs> yeah, but not to us. We're adults. Um... <laughs> Which is, yeah, all right. But at the same time, like, fantasy remains one of the most popular genres. I think instead of fantasy, a lot of times now you do have um, comic book movies. Yeah. Comic book stories, which are fantastical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But a lot of times they're kind of really boring. <laughs> like, the fantasy in them is, is again, yeah. a scientific thing. It's explained. I'm just like, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Like, there's no mystery to how Captain America got his powers. He got them through science. You know, like, it, it's... 
<laughs> this is like solely I didn't know that this was going to be so soul crushing for me but it, it, it's sorry. like there there is no mystery anymore can things not be mystical anymore like uh I hate it I know there's a good chunk of things that I'm just like don't explain it like I'm watching or watching a movie or reading a movie I'm just like don't explain this part like yeah. sure build the world like I need to know how things go together and, and make sense together build that explain those things to me but do not tell me how these things came to me like it can be a mystery you don't have to tell me the backstory of every single character and um how they happen to be in this place that's probably why like the conjuring movies do really well because they've like because they they one of the last sort of mysteries in in literature in storytelling is demonology and like demons and possessions demonic possessions and stuff and that's backed by like you can get into crazy ancient like you can get it go really far back into like catholicism or or whatever but then you can go back really far into like ancient rituals and stuff like that and it's like the last bastion of unexplainable (laughs) mysteries yeah and you have two characters um who are incredibly devoted to their faith um and and which is tested it gets tested again again which is actually like i can't think of another series that is like that i mean obviously you have characters who are like devout in some way but um not like that and not quite so where it's never like yes it's tested but they never question it they're like no the mystery is real like we've seen enough yeah um yeah we've seen enough and we can't explain it right it's sort of interesting i think yeah i think do think that is a real reason those are popular yeah because there's really just not that happening yeah yeah and i was thinking about interview with the vampire (laughs) i'm like still i i just want vampire movies to get the credit that they the vampire stories i just want them to get the credit that they deserve um and not just like be a twilight <laughs> thing anyway uh <laughs> um but interview with the vampire also has like an element of of religiosity too mm. where there's like um uh it becomes more of a human interest piece about like people's souls and louis is is all broody about the fact that he has to like live forever and he's like has to kill people to survive kind of thing that's where that's like that's where vampire stories find success i guess is like it becomes Mm -hmm. about it becomes a moral question and being like i have to survive i have a drive to survive but it means that i have to kill people and like the moral dilemma yeah but yeah and and yeah being like how is this I don't think anything is really explained in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm trying to think of other um, examples, and this is out of kind of left field, but I do think, you know, you still have some of it in the horror genre, like The Conjuring, but pretty rare. Like, I think um, one of the reasons that movie... I like, and I think one of the reasons it was popular that it follows um, movies because the atmosphere is incredibly rich, yeah. um, and it is not explained. Yeah, like 
it explains like the rules of how it's going to follow you, <laughs> but where it came from, yeah. what it is. The witch too, the witch there's, Same. there's, it's always shrouded in mystery. You never see Black Phillip. You never see the devil. No. Aside from, you just, just like the... hear his voice and like maybe an yeah. outline or something shadowy. And go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like it's full of like really crazy like the crow like breastfeeding the lady or whatever like it's just full of like really yeah. unexplained scary images. Yeah, I would say, uh, and that Robert Eggers' other movie, The Lighthouse, also mm. quite a lot of unex- you don't know what's happening and yeah. you don't know why really it's happening, but it but it's happening and yeah. the atmosphere is basically the most yeah. important part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's just Robert Eggers and The Conjuring that have continued mm-hmm. <laughs> the legacy of Gothic literature. <laughs> oh no. There's also, you know, this is, and maybe this is where we just have to like wrap it up because this is going on such yeah. a that I feel like Sorry. <laughs> clearly we could like go on. We'll have to devote more episodes to this. But I was thinking about um, Midsummer and mm. the um, and what's so interesting about that is that the way that and what's the dude what's what's his name the director of Midsummer the, and the director I want to say Tristan oh I no it's um it's like on the tip of my tongue uh it is. Ari Aster. All right. Ari. Um, <laughs> I'm like, Tristan. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Have you ever met? I've never met a Tristan before. No, I haven't either, but I just like, whatever. Anyway, uh, what Ari Aster does really well, he, that I think is like, is interesting in terms of like this mystery and like things being shrouded in mystery and like uh, maintaining this atmosphere of scariness um is like he sort of flips the script in a way because it's set in in so far north where during the summer solstice it's daylight for until you know almost 24 hours of daylight mm-hmm. and the solstice like basically is 24 hours of daylight and so you have everything is is lit up and yet there's still an element of like mystery and it's sort of like but again it goes it's it's more human interest piece it's more like is her mind playing tricks on her because she's, like, so severely going through shit? She's, like, severely depressed, and, like, is that just, like, making her, like, it's making her question everything? Is she, like, doing, is she, like, engaging in behavior that then she doesn't, that she's, like, blocking out because of, like, drugs or whatever? There's still, like, this element of, um, not a lot is explained. And and yet, Mm -hmm. he does it in a place, geographically, that is light all the time. So you right. don't it's like, not yeah. Nothing is exposed or explained. Right. But you don't have this like, oh, everything's shadowy. Like it, it's in the literal shadows. It's like, no, it's all out in the open, but we're not telling you anything. Yeah. Yeah. You get what you get. <sighs> well, yeah, clearly I just want to keep talking about horror. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, it's definitely related to the theme yeah. of yeah. Yeah. 100% so yeah whatever it's related <laughs> um yeah well I guess we will be wrapping up this 
this season with another yeah. uh, the final the final episode about Twilight, which we have talked a lot about already. <laughs> I don't think you could we could prevent, but I'm really excited to like talk just about Twilight because it is <gasps> like all of these things that we've already talked about is a phenomenon. Um, yeah. Huge popularity and it's really interesting how it both fits and does not fit into gothic literature. Yeah. And how that relates to its popularity, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it uses all of the elements of gothic literature. And, and yet. <laughs> well, cool. I guess we will log on next week. See you later. Bye.